You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans in NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, literally wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Jake on Twitter. Here with you all on this Wednesday, going to continue our conversation with Jim Eichenhofer of Pelicans.com. That's going to be the majority of this show. Uh, we need to talk about David Griffin and Alvin Gentry's media availability on uh, yesterday. We'll we'll push that till Friday show, so you've got something to carry you into the weekend on because there was a lot, including three Pelicans players testing positive for coronavirus. I'm not really worried about that. There seemed to be some ambiguity to an extent about whether or not Alvin Gentry will coach the team in Orlando. I'll discuss that too. We may get an update on that in the meantime. Uh, And a couple of other things, the big takeaways from that, because there were a lot and it was a very informative press conference, I think, uh, that the team had virtually. So we'll break that all down. We'll do that all on Friday. But today it's all about Jim Eichenhofer here as we go back into our conversation, continuing on from Monday's show about it all since it was pretty good. So that's going to be the remainder of the episode. So let's dive into it in today's edition of Locked On Pelicans with Jim Eichenhofer of Pelicans.com. So I want to go back to something you had mentioned about kind of the pressure situation for a lot of these players and what they are kind of going to go through. And I look at a guy like Brandon Ingram, who is really coming into his own as kind of like the go-to guy on this team. And you think back to like the Utah Jazz game where he put up 49 and kind of going right at Rudy Gobert to get, you know, that what basically what the game tying bucket, I think, and kind of went on in there. And it seemed like he was maybe starting to run a li- like start to run out of steam a little bit when we we suspended the season in mid-March but for a guy like that where you come in with eight pressure filled games is he going to be the guy for the team that leads them when they need it and you're going to need that guy I think you're kind of past the point of trying to figure this out what's the pecking order oh we can maybe drop a game here we tried some things it didn't work you really need to step up in these moments and I think he's a guy that basically probably all the Pelicans fans are going to be looking at to kind of fill that role yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's just, I, I'm trying to, I can't remember the end of his college career, but I think it's going to be the biggest games that he's played in in several years. So, I mean, just just that in, in itself, I think is great. And I, I'm sure it's going to be something that um, the coaches in the front office is going to emphasize and, and just see as a, as a valuable thing to add to the to the what's what what a lot of these guys have done in their first three or four years in the NBA. Look, and this is what David Griffin wanted to see. This was the definition of a successful season for him and for the yep. organization was to play these meaningful games because I think it puts these guys in those situations where you can kind of I, I almost get like a lot of data on them and see what they're made of in these moments, I think, and see how they're growing. How does a guy like Zion essentially improve during an offseason? We're going to get to see that. I think that's an important thing. And you know what, too, I'll add to just from a team overall standpoint, think about how, how valuable it, it's been and how um, much of an accomplishment confidence-wise as a group that they should have after they started the season 7-23. and 23. And I think we're so written off by – and reasonably so. I mean, when they had that record, you, you thought, you know, the goal of playing in meaningful games at the end of the season 
is out the window. It's not going to happen. You're, all you're going to try to do is make some baby steps in the last 50-plus games of the season and go into the offseason saying, okay, we have a million things we have to work on. And they still are going to have to do that. They're still going to be looking at a list of things that they need to improve. But, I mean, what a, what a great thing that they have as a group to say. And I think it's a, a bunch of guys that get along really well. Um, I think fans, it's, I always have the challenge of writing about this because it's like, how do you quantify the guys love each other? The players are, are really tight. But I do think it's something that the fans have seen, whether it's from the way they celebrate on the bench or different videos that they put on social media or whatever. But um, just in general, I, I think it's been – it's just great to, to see that they started off the way that they did and they were able to climb out of it because I feel like from a, from a mental confidence standpoint, there would have been – there were a lot of teams – that, and if you look at the history of the NBA, you see like there's been hardly any teams that have started like that and still were able to even get back in the race, let alone make the playoffs. How much of that do you attribute to a guy like J.J. Redick or even a guy like Derek Favors, those, those NBA veterans that really add a lot to the, the franchise even off the court? I would say a ton because I think those guys are so steadying. I think in totally different ways. I think um, Fave is, is just really quiet and – is just one of those guys, he's just very humble, and but he's just kind of like a rock that you just say, like, we know exactly what this guy's going to do from game to game. He's going to play unselfishly. He's going to be the back line on defense. He's going to rebound. He's going to do a lot of things that are unnoticed. And I think J.J., it just sounds like from speaking with the players, it's just been, you know, I don't think he's one of those guys that thinks I have to, that says I have to talk all the time and I have to be telling people what to do. But I think he's very timely, it sounds like, with – when he steps in and gives people advice and will make a certain point about something that some of the younger players need to know. And I think obviously with the experience that he has of being in the playoffs as many times as, as he has, um, that's been huge. So, you know, I think going back to last summer when they picked up those two guys, I was surprised. And I say this in a, in the most complimentary way towards the new front office, because I was not expecting that level of veteran player to be obtained. So when I heard those two names, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. And it's like, I'm sure a lot of people last summer may have made the argument of like, you know, why are they doing this? Because they're a young team, they're rebuilding. Why do you want to add a guy who's 10 years in, another guy who's 14 years in? But it's like, you see so much now the vision of, and the, and the value of bringing those two guys in by, based on the fact that like we just talked about, they were 16 games under 500 at one point, and it was so bleak. And then all of a sudden you get back in the race and now you have a chance to make the playoffs. No, I mean, you look at that 16 games under 500 and like a team can implode during something like that. You know, yeah. you might have, especially because mm -hmm. you have guys coming up on free agency where, you know, a lot of money's at stake for them. You have a lot of yeah. young guys that are out there trying to prove themselves and want playing time and want to be the guy and all of that. And nothing like that happened. Like if, if we gotten the, you know, Woj drops it on us that the Pelicans had a players only meeting at some point, mm -hmm. like, none of us would have been shocked at any point about that, but you didn't get anything like that. And then even on Twitter today, you see Josh Hart asking where to get golf clubs. And then JJ Redick replies to him like, yeah, we're going to be playing. And it's very cool to see these guys interacting like that, having this relationship, having that kind of fun locker room, which I think, you know, adds to success when you're having fun, that's going to help everything. And going back to what you had said about, you know, being surprised when the team got both of those guys, that sends a statement, I think, around the NBA. J.J. Redick choosing this Pelicans team that seemed like they were going to go through a rebuild probably sends a message to other people being like, whoa, he's signing there. What is he seeing that we don't see? Or maybe we need to look at that. And same thing with Derek Favors. When they were going to move him from the Jazz, he said, you know, they let him basically pick 
where they were going to trade him to, and he chose this destination. Those are two pretty big statements, I think. So we'll come back to our conversation with Jim Eichenhofer talking about all things Pelicans and the restart in Orlando. Before we do that, today's show is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Breakfast, they say it's the most important meal of the day. I'm not great about eating it, just too much to do. Sometimes the food I'll have at the house that's relatively healthy for you is just not appealing. I'd love to eat uh, sugary cereal every morning, but at 34, I just cannot do that. All of the carbs, all of the sugar, it's just not gonna do anything good for me when you try and cut down on all of that. But I've tried Magic Spoon, and Magic Spoon is now having me eat more breakfast than I ever had before, and that's because it's basically healthy cereal. It's got zero zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. Plus, they've got some unbelievable flavors in cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. It honestly, it tastes amazing. I'd have no idea that this stuff is not bad for you, that it does have zero sugar because it doesn't taste like that whatsoever. It's also keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. I'm a big fan of the fruity flavor. It tastes just like Fruity Pebbles, except not gonna like make you feel terrible and add inches to your waistline. So go to magicspoon.com slash NBA to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use promo code NBA at checkout to get free shipping. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash NBA and use code NBA for free shipping. Thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring today's show. Today's show is also brought to you by Blinkist. This is my secret weapon, especially during the quarantine. I'm going to be on a six-hour drive in a couple of days. And at one point, I'm going to throw on one or two of these just to try and catch up on some things. So what Blinkist is, it's really unique in the first place. And it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for reading lots of books. And Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute, your lunch break, or while you're on a Zoom call that you're not really paying attention to. So with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for just one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it free for seven days, and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. All right, back to our conversation with Jim Eichenhofer of Pelicans.com. I could sit here for a long time and talk about how impressed I think I've been with the changes that have been made and some of the moves that have been made, but it's like, I would think, I think everyone agrees with me. So what's, I don't know what the point would be of talking about that for five minutes or so I think that the fan base is totally on the same page with you as far as what you just said in terms of bringing credibility here and bringing the the notion of like, okay, this is a place that you're going to want to play. And I think too briefly going back to what you said about no players only meeting, I think all the stuff that you mentioned is so on point, but also there was no finger pointing. I think that's what happens a lot of times with teams that struggle, especially when you have guys that are on different point stages of their career, because everyone has a different agenda. The guys that are coming in the first couple of years in the league are trying to establish themselves. The veterans are trying to win. 
And I think it would have been easy for JJ and Derek to both be like, you know, these young guys don't get it. And we're in this hole that we're never going to be able to get out of and start, you know, pointing fingers. It's never, a, it's never an overt thing, but like, you know, sometimes you have people sniping at each other or even behind each other's back. And it seems like that never happened. And I think that's definitely a credit to the team overall, as well as those two guys that they the whole roster was really able to keep everything together at, at such a, a decent level, despite the fact that things were headed to a really bad place in, in mid-December. Yeah, and look, and you, you saw it on the court throughout the whole year, and this is one of those things that is so important to actually be at games and watch them in person. And a former front office person told me this. Look at players on the bench when a guy scores. Even when things are going bad and the season's going tough, are they getting up? Are they celebrating? Are they having fun on the bench when someone scores? And this whole team has been doing it the whole time. You even see it on the court, too. Think about that Jackson Hayes putback and then J.J. Reddick's reaction in the background after that. They genuinely like each other and are rooting for each other, even when things weren't going well. And it, you see it. And then once they finally started to get healthy and rounded into form and develop some of that chemistry, that's where we saw this team really take off. And that's why they're in these final 22 teams. I yeah, think. And, it's, and it's a huge port to all of it. Sure. And, and I think, you know, I remember David Griffin last summer from the beginning said, we're going to get guys that are good people. We want to get guys that represent New Orleans well. We want to have players that the fans can be proud of and people, guys that they can support and they can be feel good about when they go home for after paying money to watch the game about the effort that they put in and the fact that they're rooting for people that they want to see succeed. And, you know, a lot of people say that and it seems, it sounds like a, like a bunch of platitudes at first, but I think all the stuff that you just said, it just shows that I think that he very, he very much followed through on that as far as his goal of bringing in good people. And you see that when, you know, regardless of what stage you're at in your career, when you don't play very much, it's easy to say, it's easy to get down. It's easy to not be encouraged to the other, encouraging to the other players. But you saw a bunch of players. Um, I think Nikhil is a good example of this, where he was having a great time on the bench, even though he wasn't playing and he had some struggles. Um, ja Okafor is another guy that you see. He's yeah. always got his head up. He's been in situations the last couple of years where he doesn't know when his playing time is coming, but he's always ready to play. And when he doesn't play, he's, he's a positive for, for force and factor for some of the other guys that are playing ahead of him. So, I mean, those are all things that you love to see. And like I was saying earlier, it's, I, I find this so tough as a writer sometimes because we want to quantify everything. We want to put everything in stats. But um, that's one thing that I feel like was, a, was definitely has been a big factor to the success of this team in the way that they were able to rebound from a lot of the adversity that they had. Yeah, no, that's, it's, I think that stuff is it's, – it's tough to try and describe. It's tough, as you said, to try and quantify. And it's easy for us to kind of point to, you know, who played well in a game with stats and numbers and all that, and we do that. But there's a whole other side of things that is so important when it comes to the NBA, and that's, you know, a lot of what the coach's job is too, is managing all those different people, keeping them motivated, keeping them going. They might not play well out there. They might not execute as well as they could at times. But keeping that other stuff going to the, is a credit to the entire coaching staff that I think they have here. Even looking at them just improving on the defensive side of the ball all year long, which is a lot about effort and kind of basketball IQ, which is not the easiest thing at times. And they've really kind of moved in that direction. Um, so I think that's going to really help them in over these eight games in Orlando when there is so much pressure on them when everything is kind of do or die, or if they do drop a game, they shouldn't, and that's going to hurt their chances. How do you kind of stop thinking about that, move on to the next one and play your best basketball? And all of these things I think are going to be big factors. 
for sure. And I mean, this is a this is a different conversation for a different day. But I mean, to me, one of the things that we that I talk about, I think about, especially ha- experiencing the NBA from the outside and then being on the inside the last bunch of years, is how much of how much of the mental part and the maturity part is a factor in a guy's success. Obviously, you have to be talented to play in the NBA, but I think people would be amazed at the difference between a guy who plays ten, who lasts ten years in the NBA and a guy who lasts four in terms of how much of a factor that is as far as doing the right things, being supportive of your teammates, having maturity, being on time, that kind of thing. And I think that this group of guys is really reflects a lot of that stuff really well. Yeah, I think those are a lot of the things that are going to give teams an edge in Orlando, um, or at least maybe the teams fighting for the eighth spot where you're all rather equal in terms of level of play, in terms of talent, though I think you can argue that maybe the Pelicans are ahead of some of those other teams and their record is what it is because a lot of the injuries they've had. But if you're looking for something that gives you a competitive advantage, I think that's definitely it. And as a small market team, that's something that the Pelicans are kind of hunting for. I think that's part of the reason why they spent a lot of money bringing in a guy like Aaron Nelson to keep the players healthy, to help with recovery and to try and get them back out on the court quicker. So I think that's a really important thing. And if you're building a team um, you know, kind of going through a bit of, I, I don't want to call this fully like a rebuild, but maybe more of a reset. I think that's all really important. So it's cool to see that the team has kind of done this right. Um, so going back to Orlando with all of that, are there, is there anything in particular you're going to have your eyes on and kind of watching over this stretch of time? Um, I would say probably the main thing is just, can they, can they build on what, what where do they, how do they pick up from where they left off? I mean, it's going to be a challenge to, put four months between the last game you played on March 8th and then more than four months, March 8th and July 30th. But um, they were playing offense at such a high level. I think they were making strides defensively, but obviously I don't think that that was all going to come together to the level that they want it to be this season, just with all the young guys. That's the toughest end of the floor to, to learn when you're just coming into the NBA. There's so many things that you have to learn, um, including for Zion and some of the other, other yeah. new guys, Jackson Hayes. Um, so that's probably generally the biggest thing is just to see how, how much they can put that, those two things together of can they keep playing at like a top five-ish level offensively and, and can they continue to be as reasonably competitive defensively as they were the last maybe 30-something games as opposed to the way they started the season where they were really towards the bottom defensive efficiency-wise. The, the, their conditioning and everything, I think, is going to be pretty important, too, with the way they kind of try and fly up the court that, you know, if they, it sounds like the Pelicans took care of their guys, what they sent them bikes and everything to kind of keep them in like decent cardio shape, which I think is very important in this. Yeah. Um, but with you playing games, what basically every other day, more or less, it's going to be that being able to kind of keep up the pace that high, you know, flying style of play could be tough, too. But I think that's where being a younger team that at times shows some depth through, you know, a guy like Etwan Moore has been almost a key guy for the team this year, I think, that you're probably able to keep that up to some degree, certainly, right? Yeah, I mean, you hope so. I mean, I'll be totally honest with you. Conditioning-wise, I, I have no idea what to expect, and I'm not saying that just for the Pelicans. I just mean in general. Yeah. I just think it's, it's impossible to predict because um, there's, there's, there's shape, there's physical shape, and then there's game shape, and no one's going to have game shape. Because, I mean, I know I've, I've seen some videos that people have been upset about from various guys. I don't think any of the Pelicans of people playing five on five. But that's definitely the minority as far as the number of players of the 300 plus that are going to be there. I don't think too many guys have had, had too much of that. 
they'll get that in and over these next few weeks now that they're in a camp training camp situation. But, um, but man, I just think it's, it's just so hard to, to predict because I mean, you have guys like Jokic who apparently lost like 50 pounds or or something out out of like nowhere over this. Yeah. And then I think you, and you have other guys who probably put on some extra pounds that we're probably not going to find out about until we see them doing their, doing their interviews. So, I mean, who knows? It's, it's just, I'm not even going to try to predict how that is going to factor in, but like you were saying earlier, I mean, it's definitely reasonable to expect there's going to be some rust in the first couple games and, maybe the first couple of games are going to be kind of like just kind of a slog as far as, okay, we're going to just try to get through this. We're going to try to win this game by one point. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll just take the win and we'll move on and we'll get better the second game. The, there's going to be a couple games in this where just everyone's off for whatever reason. Maybe it's the first couple of games. Maybe it's later too. When you're, you know, you're, you're staying in a hotel the whole time. It's not you being at home. You're out of your rhythm. You're out of your routine. And all of that stuff really factors into things. You know, there's like no home court advantage for anyone in this anymore yeah. and you're gonna ha- definitely see people there's gonna be one game where teams are shooting like 12 percent. there's turnovers like or 12 percent from three i should say yeah. and like turnovers everywhere and you're gonna be seeing a lot of like this game is drunk tweets and it's gonna be like yeah <laughs> like what did, what did you expect like we're gonna have some awful moments out there um that are just like what did you again it's not real life this is so far removed from like everything we're used to seeing that it's gonna just truly be bizarre there and you bring up an interesting point about the home court advantage of, of not having one. To me, the, the ed, quote unquote edge in a situation like this goes to the guys that, pl- that have a ton of intensity, no matter what the situation is, guys that just bring it every single night and they, they're not, you know, focused on how many people are in the stands, that kind of thing. I know people have talked about just to pick one random example that the Clippers have a couple guys that they think are going to do really well in this situation because they literally do not like Pat Beverly. They, he doesn't care. Yeah. He doesn't seem to care. He doesn't show up at the game looking around saying like, oh, there's only 12,000 people here, so I'm not going to play hard. He comes out every game to just destroy whoever's in, it, in his way, whether it's the guy he's guarding or the other team. So I think that that is going to be – it'll be an edge to the guys that just have the professionalism to say and the pride to just be like, it doesn't matter how many people are, are in the gym. I'm a competitor, and I want to do well, and I want to you know, show well of myself. Um, in front of what I think is going to be a huge audience and tons of people watching these games on TV, but not there. So we'll wrap up with Jim Eichenhofer of pelicans.com here in just a minute. Today's show also brought to you by rockauto.com. There's so many makes and models of cars out there. Money can be tight and you want to fix yours yourself. We'll go to rockauto.com because they make it unbelievably easy. If you go to a chain store, they're not going to have the part you're looking for, or they might have a part, but it doesn't fit your car exactly because of the different trim that you have. And you know what? It's going to be overpriced because they're big chain stores. That's kind of what they do. But rockauto.com is an online catalog that is remarkably unique and easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Just ordered a radiator for a car from 1976. I want to keep it original. They had it. That is unbelievable. And you can't really find that wherever else you go. So go to rockauto.com. It's a family business serving auto parts customers customers online for 20 years go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of
of manufacturers and best of all, reliably low prices. Same for professionals and do it yourself. So why spend twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Bunk? So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a lot of eyes, I think, on TV watching this sort of thing. But it's going to just be a weird atmosphere. Do you remember when, what, the Knicks played the Warriors? The Warriors played at Madison Square Garden and they didn't play music there, I think, to try and get, like, a cheap win over the Warriors and take them out of their rhythm and just had, like, the sounds of the game, which seemed cool for a few minutes and then became kind of uncomfortable and weird. And you're going to have things like that that are just going to, like, throw players off and guys who don't care about that stuff. A guy like Pat Beverly, for example, which makes a lot of sense, are going to be fine in a situation like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I, I guess, I guess we'll see what what happens with that as far as um, the Pelicans goes. I think Josh Hart strikes me as the first guy I think of as a guy who who he plays, he brings it every game, but he also does like to talk trash to a lot of fans. So I, I'm kind of joking and wondering <laughs> if he's going to be looking around like, where are the people, where are the opposing fans that I can just yell at that I just made a three after they've been telling me I can't shoot for the last. 45 minutes. That's a, that's a good point. You're definitely going to have some guys get really thrown off by this. I, it'll also be interesting to see if we hear a little bit more of the talk that goes on uh, between players out there on the court, which I think would be a lot of fun. But, sure. I, you know, a theme that comes up in all, any of these conversations I have about this is like, we don't know what this is going to be like. And it is going to be kind of one, one giant experiment. Um, so before we wrap up here, any kind of lasting thoughts on what's going to be going on in Orlando and how the Pelicans are going to potentially be looking? Um, I just think that uh, I guess if I had one thing to sum it up with, I would just say that I just hope people enjoy it and people have fun. I mean, we've used the word pressure a few times, and I think that applies. But I also think at the same, by the same token, um, a lot of this is, as I've said, it's going to just be a great experience for a lot of these guys. Um, and it's going to be a weird uh, standpoint from or perspective for, for fans in so many ways, but I'm hoping that we have some of the uh, – it's going to be like the biggest watch party that you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> yeah. It's just going to be in a lot of different locations. It's not going to be one location watch party. So, I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to that as well, just to see – just to, to use one um, analogy, a comparison – the night that the Pelicans won the lottery, I remember seeing a million videos from people jumping up and down in their living room, screaming and scaring their significant other and their <laughs> kids. Um, but I, I would think that we're going to see maybe not that exact thing, but I think we're going to see kind of a repeat of that, which I think is going to be fun in some ways. No, there's definitely going to kind of be like an online community around all of this that, you know, maybe brings people closer together. And I think you have moments like this that can really make people yeah, like deepen their fandom of a team and maybe endear the franchise more to them if it wasn't already there. So this is a good opportunity, I think, for a lot of things. So it's just nice to get basketball back. And it's nice to see after everything that's gone on this year. And it's been it's been an eventful year for New Orleans that they're included in all of this and at least have a chance. And I don't know if you can really ask for much more than that. And, and one thing that I'll throw into and I know I, I, I always end up turning this into a marathon when I come on your show. <laughs> but um, I think. You, one of the things that you just said reminded me of something I've thought about a lot and you can tell me if you agree with me or not. I feel like the fan base is so bonded right now that every, everything that's happened in the last couple of years, I've never seen New Orleans basketball fans be so on the same page and so gelled together. And I think it's great to see. Um, we've, we've, we've experienced a lot of stuff 
specifically to New Orleans. And it's kind of, I think it's generated partly kind of an us against the world mentality, but just the fans, I think, you know, and like I said, you can tell me what you think, but I, I just think, I, I just love the fact that the fans are so seem to be so together right now, probably to a greater degree than maybe I've seen the entire time I've been here. I've been here forever. So that says something. No, no, I, I agree with you entirely. Basically, uh, you know, it goes back to last season, the Anthony Davis situation of him trying to force his way out. I think, you know, kind of really, it gave almost like Pelicans fans a common enemy and kind of rallied people together behind that us versus the world mentality, which is what it felt like. It felt like the franchise and the fan base was entirely under siege, I think. Yeah. And that's a good way when it feels like your back's against the wall to really kind of rally a group. And I think you saw that. And then getting lucky in the lottery, landing a guy like Zion, who was probably the most hyped prospect since LeBron, probably the best prospect since Anthony Davis. And then being able to get that guy kind of accelerates things. Guy who is just so electric, so likable too, that like you just can't help but rooting for him and all the hype coming in. Got people on board. Just that draft night party at Fulton Alley was or Fulton Street was unbelievable what the you guys were basically expecting 2,000 people to show up and like six or seven did I think like we've never seen anything like this and it just felt like justice didn't it when the when the lottery went the way that it did oh I yeah felt like I felt like to some extent and I think even game of zones of all things referenced this in one of their videos it just felt like everybody was just laughing because it was just kind of like we just went through the misery that we did and now look what happens it's just it's just one. It was one of those things where it, it kind of felt. And of course, I'm exceptionally biased when I say this. I'm sure the <laughs> other 13 teams in the lottery wouldn't agree with me that didn't win. But it just felt like it was like it, this is what should have happened after the the miserableness of that previous year. It, certain things feel deserved, I think, and this is kind of like one of those. After you know the slog of ev- like, look, last season was awful, especially towards the end. Once the Anthony Davis stuff, and once we got past the trade deadline, like covering the team sucked. And it wasn't, it wasn't fun for fans even either. You know, Mm -hmm. AD was going to leave. Everyone was just kind of over it, but you had 20 something games left to play. And so you kind of go through stuff and you make it out to the, the other side of it. And that bonds people together, I think. And then it was like, yes, this is right. After everything we Pelicans fans had to deal with, we are the people that get Zion. And this just seems like justice in a sense. And I think that's a good way of kind of rallying people. Zion, if it was any other prospect, I don't know if it would have worked. It would have gone this way. But it being him and just everything about him really brought people together. Like in the days after it, I saw so many homemade Zion jerseys and Mm. T-shirts of people who took a red shirt and wrote Zion's name on it in like black Sharpie (laughs) because they wanted to wear things. I've never seen some of the reaction to it. And it was unbelievable. And I think you're still seeing it carry over. And look, this is one of those situations that if the Pelicans do make it into the final 16 teams, into the official playoffs of everything, this is a weird, going to be a weird postseason. Who knows how things are going to go, but I'd say it probably helps the Pelicans and their chances, even if it's just a little bit because of how bizarre this all is. And that's going to get people even more excited too. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. There's tons of people, and I know this because – despite the conditions of having to stay mostly inside and so on and so forth. I've heard many, many people say to me in person or whatever, we, we want a chance to play the playoffs, because, get into the final eight in the West because of who the opponent will be in, in the first round. So, I mean, that would be – write it any better, basically. Right, right. That would be an opportunity that I think would be 
you know, one of the bigger ones that people would latch onto. And uh, we'd probably have to calm some people down and maybe get some people to not get their blood pressure going at the start of game one, as well as the game, as well as every single game of that series, including maybe me, but, <laughs> but, 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 but man, that would be something else to, to have that happen. Wouldn't it? The storylines, it feels like everything's kind of coming full circle, particularly if the team's competitive in that series, even if they don't win, I think if you kind of yeah. take it to that team and it looks like they, it, the, you know, it, it makes the future look bright. They've got to wait their turn. They've got to improve a little bit. That, sends a big message and that gets people excited people love potential it's why everyone loves the draft whether it's the nfl whether it's the nba and kind of what these guys could turn into and when you can kind of see that in front of you in a competitive first round series you know and a competitive first round series can still be a sweep if you're close in every game i think uh can really kind of build up on that so there's a lot of opportunity not just for the franchise to do something good here but also to really build up new orleans and turn it into more of a basketball city which I know we all hope for, uh, for everything. That's, I like we're kind of bringing it full circle like that. That's probably where we should end this, huh? For sure. You said it perfectly. Yeah, there we go. Full <laughs> circle on, on everything here. So Jim, thank you for taking the time with me here. Be sure to check out the future like rock opera on the Pelicans coming on, <laughs> on pelicans.com and follow Jim at Jim underscore Eichenhopper on Twitter if you don't already. And Jim, I appreciate it, man. You too, Jake. It was always, it's always great talking to you with, with you, man. I had a lot of fun. I will check in with my mom. I'm not sure if she's going to lean towards rock opera, but <laughs> that, I'll leave that up to her. She knows a thousand times more about music than I do. So I will let you know what the decision is from her. There we go. All right. I love it. We'll all be like, there's nothing other to do than wait right now. So we'll, we'll keep an eye out for it. All right. Thanks again, Jim. Thanks, man. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans. Big thank you again to Jim Eichenhofer of Pelicans.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim underscore Eichenhofer if you don't already. And check out his work over at Pelicans.com and all over their social media as well. Great conversation with him over two days. Show on Friday will break down the news from David Griffin and Alvin Gentry's press conference that they've had. Talking about the team, the positive COVID-19 tests and all of the other stuff coming out of it. Including where they think they're going to have an edge in Orlando, which I I found pretty interesting. So thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, and we'll be back with you all on Friday.